When maneuvering a motorcycle at low speeds, meaning speeds less than the bike actually wants to go when the clutch is fully engaged, your hands, your fingers off the clutch and in first gear, slipping the clutch is an essential skill with a manual clutch, of course. But having learned to ride the bike with that manual clutch, even if you don't understand how the clutch works, most riders learned very early on that if the clutch has slipped too much, it wears out very quickly. So what's the deal? On one hand, you've got your riding instructors, your advanced riding instructors telling you, you need to slip that clutch. Yet on the other hand, you know full well, if you slip that clutch too much, you're going to fry it. So today on our exclusive rider skills, we're going to talk about different kinds of clutches, how the clutch works, how much slip a clutch can actually take before it fries, warning signs that you're abusing your clutch, and finally, how to adjust the free play in a motorcycle clutch system, which is supremely important. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragu. Helga Pettis. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Sean Thomas, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, these segments, of course, are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. And now to explore just how much we can abuse our clutches without ruining them and much more. We've got Clinton Smout. Clinton is the head instructor at Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. He's a BMW certified instructor as well as a, a, he has a host of other certifications and qualifications for training street riders, ATV riders, snowmobilers, and more. Clinton, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey, Jim, great to be here. Let's start off with what kinds of clutches are out there. Have you ever burnt out a clutch before on anything, a car? Or- oh, yes. Yeah, in a in a bike that I've purchased used where the clutch was already halfway gone, which is part of the reason why it was so cheap, I guess. But yeah, we, would, we figured out how to work on clutches at a pretty young age because we bought crappy old bikes for a couple hundred dollars. Were you ever out for a ride before, though, and had the clutch go on you? Yes. Um, we were trying to do this hill called the Widowmaker. The kids in the neighborhood called it. So I was really fanning the clutch to get a bit more power out of it. And it was toast already. And so I, I got a toe home because there's literally no nothing left on the fiber plates, which we can explain. <laughs> what was it like, though, going up the hill? Was it, was it just all of a sudden a bang or did it just slowly bog no, no. down? Or What people will feel or smell when a clutch fries or burns out is it's a very unique smell like burnt oil almost and um, your engine will still rev up that it, so it doesn't transfer the power to the gearbox in the back wheel so what happens it's just spinning 
but it's not pulling you. So you'll hear a lot of noise, but there's no trees going by anymore. And that's a good indication you're either stuck or your clutch is fried. So the smelling, how, how can you smell it when it's a sealed system? Well, it's heat and it comes out. I don't know if it comes out through the crankcase vent hole, but that smell, you can smell it bikes away. Like if there's a whole bunch of bikes, you can, your nose could tell you which one has the fried clutch. Kind of similar to the smell of brakes. You know, if you go to the mountains and, and stop it and yeah. pull out, you smell that smell. It is. And it's very similar causation. You know, it's heat, it's friction. So it actually burns it, but it burns a bit of the oil in a wet clutch system. Right. So you can definitely smell it. Well, let's start with the, the types of clutches that you find in a motorcycle. How many are there? Uh, I wrote down when we were talking about it, or, or for notes, I wrote down five. There's all kinds of them. The most prevalent is the wet clutch. And it's called wet because it's a multi-discs in a basket that runs in a bath of oil. So the oil helps cool it because it circulates just like it's cooling other parts of the engine. Now, this is the probably the most common, or definitely, this is the most common clutch that you're going to find out there if you yes. just randomly check bikes. Exactly. Unless you're in a Moto Guzzi dealership, they're pretty well all dry clutches. But most of us listening would have a wet clutch. You said Moto Guzzi. What other companies use um, a lot of dry clutch? Ducati. Um, a lot of sport bikes, um, Italian, will have a dry clutch. And you can tell because they're, they're a little bit exposed. There's holes in the under basket. And you'll hear it pull up beside a light. When it pulls up beside you at a light, it's just clacking and banging a real mechanical noise until you pull the clutch lever in and then the sound goes away. But um, the benefit is it is a little more grabby because it doesn't have the oil to soften the blow when you're modulating it. But it does run cleaner. There's no clutch debris that comes off with wear and tear in a wet system. So you can keep your oil cleaner longer with a dry clutch system. Well, let's hold, hold off um, any more of the benefits of that until we talk about the rest of the kinds of clutches. What other kind of clutches are, are, are out there that we could stumble across? Well, there's DCT, which has come into the market in Honda since... I don't know, 2012, they had them, but the Africa twin really publicized it. Dual clutch transmission. And that's a pretty neat system as well. And that's basically just two wet clutches. That's correct. Okay. What other kinds? There's an addition you can add to a traditional wet clutch called the recluse, which is combines the benefit of centrifugal clutch with a wet clutch because you can't stall it so you don't have to pull in the clutch when you come to a stop it'll keep on running and it sticks in whatever gear you were just in so a lot of pro racers off-road racers use a recluse so if they crash they can just pick their bike back up climb on and take off Right, because if they crash, the clutch is out. Normally, it would stall, so uh, that way it keeps running and off yeah. they go. 
Yeah. And we had Recluse on actually, maybe I'll put a link in the episode because we had them on. It, it was, it was really good. That might be the one we talked about the DCT transmissions on as well. Okay. This is quite an interesting system, quite an interesting modification, which and I think you can switch it to manual, can't you? Yes, you can. And uh, it's almost cheating compared to the old way of, if you fall off your bike, that's part of it. You got to find neutral, maybe kickstart it and away you go again. Well, now if you watch the really hard enduro in Europe, for instance, they loop them right out and the thing's still running on its side and they pick it up and take off. Okay. So any other kind of clutch? That's it. I think wet, dry, DCT, centrifugal, recluse. That's all I put down. Well, what that's about all the, I've ever What about the slipper clutch? I mean, I know that's not a real clutch. Yeah, it's more a system for when you're decelerating. If you were to drop from third gear at high RPM into second. In the older non-slipper days, if you simply drop the clutch, the back wheel could lock up, which off obviously could be dangerous. So a lot of sport bikes and adventure bikes now come with a slipper clutch. You can just bang down through the gears and it slowly adjusts the wheel speed to the road speed of the lower gear. So it's almost like letting the clutch out very slowly. It's doing what you should have done as a rider. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. That's why a lot of the old timers say you could put a monkey on a race bike today because there's traction control, slipper clutches, there's anti-wheelie intervention, stuff like that, which isn't exactly true. Valentino Rossi's no monkey. But doesn't that sort of up the uh, the challenge a bit when they do that sort of stuff? Once they once they make something easy, it's like, you know, you push the bike harder. That, that's what I sort of picture happening. Exactly. Because the lap times at 50, 60-year-old tracks are eight seconds, nine seconds faster now. And it's because of the technology. The riders are still very, very good. And they're, they're probably more athletic because they don't work as a plumber during the week. They're <laughs> highly paid athletes now. Right. But um, the technology is just unbelievable. It's hard to believe where it's going to go. I guess electric is the next thing. Well, riderless, that would be the, the obvious one, wouldn't it? Then you don't oh, have yeah. to worry about anybody getting hurt. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they don't have to sponsor a rider. You just sponsor a seat, you know, that's it. Yeah. But, uh, okay, well, well, let's start with um, talking about the clutch itself and what it does. Well, what's the purpose of it and how does it work? Well, in most motorcycles or standard transmission cars, the clutch's job is to transfer or connect the power that you've created with the throttle. So it hooks up the power from the engine to the gearbox whatever gear you're in. So it connects and disconnects power. Now, we try to give the analogy that a clutch is like a dimmer switch. Most people have them in their houses. If you imagine a dimmer switch, you could have the light on just a little bit. That's letting go of the clutch just a tiny amount. Or you could have the light in the dining room half power. That's letting the clutch half out. And when the light's the brightest, that's when your hand is completely off the left lever on the handlebar. So the clutch is what's called fully hooked up or fully engaged. And the way that does that is with 
a, a dry clutch, for instance, on an old Volkswagen or an air-cooled, oil-cooled BMW before 2013, that's when they went to a wet clutch. The dry clutch system, it has springs in it so that when you let the clutch all the way out, there's a pressure plate squeezing these dry plates together, either one or multiple. And that connects the engine to the gearbox. It's the pressure of the springs. So when you modulate it or pull the clutch in a little bit, you're separating those plates so they don't grab as strongly to the point when you pull the clutch all the way in, disengaging it, the springs are separating those plates completely and you don't go anywhere. It's not hooked up to the gear. This is almost like you, um, if you had a, a wheel, a, a flat, maybe even a plate in front of you that's slowly turning, and you put your hands, one hand on either side of it, and squished your hands together. That's what the clutch is doing, isn't it? Your hands being basically the, I guess, the engine and, and the wheel being connected to the transmission. But in any case, as you squeeze that together, and they become one, and they, your hands would actually have to spin with the plate, which of course they couldn't do. But, but that's what we're, what we're talking about, isn't it? Exactly. That's a great analogy. On um, In motorcycles, in a wet clutch, there's a basket and there's two types of clutch plates. Some of them are steel. There might be five or six. So the, the plates, uh, you'll have one steel plate, one friction plate, then another steel plate. So they're sandwiched in between each other. And then a top plate with springs. So when we're pulling the clutch in, the springs separate those plates so they can spin independently of one another. But when you let the clutch out, the springs force them together tightly and that will turn the back wheel essentially because you're hooking it up to the gearbox. So, so the clutch is, is you know, you're, you're disconnecting the transmission from the engine. And basically what you just described there, when you're pulling that lever and pulling on that cable, the, the cable runs down to your, your engine. It, pull, it pulls on a lever, which shoves a, a rod through. And this is all from the mechanical pull of your, of your hand. And when yes. the rod goes through, it touches that pressure plate that you're talking about. And by squeezing it, by forcing the pressure plate back, you're releasing all these discs uh, and plates. Exactly. And then yep. you're, then you have That's no right. connection. Exactly. And it's, you can modulate it just like a dimmer switch by letting it go a little bit. I hope people will appreciate that analogy of a dimmer switch. So you can modulate the power that you're transferring through the clutch to the transmission with your hand. Now, a lot of our philosophies or beliefs about clutches come from our fathers who taught us how to drive a standard transmission. Mine certainly did. Now, the weight of an old farm truck or even a Volkswagen Beetle is three to five times the weight of our adventure bikes. So that's the real difference. You're, it's okay to slip the clutch on a motorcycle, and by slipping it... I mean, you're riding 
with the clutch partially in. Now, you should never do that in a big truck or even your Jeep because that could heat it up too much and fry or burn your clutch because of the hugely extra weight of the big four-wheel drive vehicle rather than a little motorcycle. But but even on so, motorcycles, doesn't a dry clutch heat up much faster than the wet clutch? Yes. Yeah, so the wet it, clutch is far it, more forgiving because it has lubrication than the dry one. It is. It runs cooler because what damages a clutch is heat. These plates that we're talking about, they even call them friction plates, steel plates and friction plates. So when they rub together, it generates incredible heat. You could really burn your hand taking apart a clutch really just after you've ridden it hard. So um, with a wet clutch, it runs cooler. The oil takes the heat away and circulates it and goes through an oil cooler sometime or at least a finned head. It's a lot quieter than a dry clutch. And you'll get longer life out of a wet clutch than a dry clutch generally. Mm-hmm. Now, wet clutches are also in automatic transmissions. You and I have talked about that before and how some transmissions uh, are programmed to actually slip the clutch for a, a considerable time as you're, you're gaining power, or as you're getting speed rather with your vehicle. That just, that speaks to, because they're kind of the same thing, aren't they? They're really, I mean, I guess they're exactly the same thing. Yeah, I, it's, it's automatically slipping it maybe in an off-road scenario in a Jeep or a Land Cruiser or something. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so it's the same kind of clutch. It's the same, it's even the same um, setup with the basket and everything with, with the clutch plates than what we have in our, our motorcycles. Yes, very similar. The wet clutch also is good, Jim, because it kind of dampens the hit where you'll get a little more clunky transmission use with a dry clutch audibly and the feel in your hand. There's a real um, my HP2 that I have is a dry clutch, a BMW, very clunky clutch. It's not as smooth as a wet clutch. And, and you you got to be more careful with that too, right? You got to get off that clutch quicker than what you would with any of your wet clutch bikes. Yeah, they're more prone for heat trouble. Um, you'll wear one out in racing. So very few race bikes, you know, Thousands of BMWs have done the Dakar in the heat with a dry clutch. It's not that they're terrible. They just don't last as long as a wet clutch. So you've mm-hmm. got to be more careful. Yeah. So if you're stuck or something like that, yeah, you want to be a lot more careful with that dry clutch. You, you can get away with more with a wet clutch. Yes. I was going to talk about getting stuck. Is That's a great way to fry your clutch or burn it out. Our son... Uh, when he started riding, very, very adept rider by, you know, 12 years old, 13. And we got him a little wise at 85. He worked at our school and paid half it off, half it, it off. I guess in the States, it's called a YZ 85. But we got this little two-stroke Yamaha. And when the track was really, really muddy, he would fan the clutch to get up these really steep, muddy hills. So... When you pull a clutch in and you keep your throttle on, the engine RPM goes up dramatically because it's got no load on it. You're not pulling anything. So then he would drop the clutch because then you get a bit of wheel spin and your power keeps 
up. So many people will fan a clutch as the last resort to get up that last little bit of the mountain where they would have stalled out, not had enough power. So it's a quick way to build power, but it really heats up the clutch. So the next day it was a little drier, but he was complaining, you know, it doesn't go as fast. It seems to be making a lot of noise. And when I inspected it, the, uh, the clutch, I could smell it right away when I checked the oil and changed the oil. The oil was just black from abuse, and that's clutch wear. The dust that comes off the clutch friction plates will darken our oil, and uh, I had to put a new clutch in it. How many clutches did he go through before he got the hang of it? Uh, well, when it was pointed out that he'd be paying for the next one, he was a lot more diligent. <laughs> <laughs> well, that shows he's a fast learner, though, isn't it? I mean, he's yeah, better than you saying, good. he's better than you telling the story where you've changed the clutch three times, you know, and he's still burning them out. Yeah, exactly. The, the one thing about a dry clutch on the bikes that I've owned, it's in the middle of a BMW. If you can envision, it's behind the engine where it, it hooks up to everything. So you literally have to cut an air-cooled BMW in half in order to service the clutch. And that's very expensive if you can't do it yourself. Uh, I've never done one, but I watched. You know, I'd stop in and visit a mechanic that was doing one of our instructors. And I really thought this guy was never going to get that bike back together because it looked like it was cut in half. And there was hundreds of pieces all over his shop. And he fixed it. It took him nine hours labor because he's a really experienced BMW mechanic. Right. Um, but most shops will quote 14 hours labor to oh. get at a dry clutch. It's very expensive. That's a lot of money plus your parts. Yes. So if nothing else motivates you to learn how to ride properly and when and when not to slip the clutch, uh, financially, it's a real good idea to <laughs> not, learn. Not properly. to mention getting stuck somewhere where you don't want to be stuck, you know, and having to find a way to get yes. your bike out of that place. Yeah. Uh, sometimes just letting it cool down for half an hour could make a world of difference. You may have a little clutch left when you start it up again. Well, I'm glad you said that because one of the questions I had for you was, um, can, is it possible to overheat the clutch? What happens when you do it and what's the result? Yeah, it, heat, as we were saying, and friction is created with those plates rubbing together. And it's happening at very high RPM. And it can cause the clutch to actually burn out. So what happens the friction plates have are a certain thickness. And with abuse and time, wear and tear, maybe not changing the oil as frequently as we should, the clutch plates get thinner, which is why you have to keep adjusting your clutch. Eventually, you, you're letting it out, and it's almost to the end of the length of your fingers before it starts to engage or grab. And that's because the plates are thinner. It's almost like your brake pads are getting thinner and thinner and thinner. You have to push down harder on the brake before it engages. So heat and wear and tear will wear out the friction plates. 
What happens with the steel plates is they discolor. They turn very dark colors when they're shiny metal, when they're new. And that tempered steel loses some of its ability to hook up to the friction plate when it gets very, very burnt. And so the word fried clutch, burnt clutch, is very descriptive because it's the heat that kills them. Um, the ridges, of the thickness of the friction plates, the plates that are in the middle of the clutch pack get the most abuse. So they'll get thinner first. They wear out faster than the friction plates on the not in the middle, on the outer edges. So I, I do know an old buddy who took it apart and put the thin plates on the outside and the thicker ones that still had a bit of meat on them in the middle. And he got a few more weeks of riding mm. while he was waiting for parts. And that's a good thing to remember if you're on the trail and you have the ability to, to work on your clutch. It could be a way to get yourself out. Exactly. Uh, but letting it cool down is another trick. You'll have a little bit of clutch and then just ride very, very, maybe you've got enough to take off. Um, I have ridden home, not with a fried clutch, but with a, a broken off clutch lever. We've done this many times before we put bark busters on all our motorcycles. Mm -hmm. So I would give the customer my bike and I would ride the bike that they'd crashed that had no clutch lever. So you just push it running along beside it and then bang it into gear and shift very gingerly and then hit your kill switch when you're coming into a stop because you obviously you can't pull in a clutch. And you have no traffic lights. <laughs> this is from a trail. Yes, exactly. Out right. in the bush, yeah. No, right. if it happened on the street, call AAA or CAA. Yeah, whatever <laughs> you have. But but I gather you, you're using your Roy Rogers start when you're doing that, aren't you? Yes. Which we've By talked pushing about. pushing and just jump on and bang it into gear and take off. Right. We've talked before about slipping the clutch and how important it is. You've even mentioned it several times what you're talking about. Um, before we get much further in this, can you just talk briefly sort of about the times when you do want to slip the clutch, that there is a reason we slip the clutch? Absolutely. Uh, at our school, we train right from the start with beginner novice riders, two fingers resting on the clutch lever, and we teach them that that's how they control their speed in lower gears. It's not the right hand with the throttle. It's how much they hook the clutch up with those two fingers. So with that basis and basic understanding of the clutch, we carry that on into all the lessons. And the beauty of slipping is you can modulate the aggressive hit that throttle does with lower gears. So when we start off in first gear, it's got a lot of power to transfer to the back wheel. And the clutch helps modulate that and softens it if you slip the clutch. If you just drop the clutch, it's very abrupt. And if you try riding around with the clutch all the way out, it's very hard to control, especially big adventure bikes. If you're trying to 
weave through rocks or trees or something. Because you're being forced to go the, the, um, the minimum speed the gearing is set for. Exactly. And the throttle is very jerky on and off. It's hard to be smooth oh, with the clutch all the way out, which is why I struggled with an electric battery-powered trials bike because I had no clutch. It was all throttle. And I had a heck of a time being smooth. I actually wiped out uh, Jordan Zoke, who's a Canadian trials road racing hero. Uh, He was doing a demonstration at the Calgary Motorcycle Show a few years ago. You know, he jumps off of a, a van and climbs up the side of a van. And in between shows, I do demonstrations as well on street bikes. He said, Clinton, have you ever ridden a electric trials bike? I said, no, I'd love to try. So there might've been a hundred people standing around waiting for Jordan's next show. And they got a real show (laughs) 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 because I looped this thing out. Normally when a front wheel is about to come over top of me and I'm wheeling backwards, I'll pull the clutch in. And I couldn't find the rear brake. So I, I wiped out Jordan's brand new trials bike in front of all these people to their great amusement. Oh, that stuff's great. I mean, it's what people live for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why people, spectators, want the corner seats because that's where the accidents happen. So. Right. It's where all the action is. <laughs> you know, people were asking me afterwards, are you going to? do that trials thing again. That was cool. I know <laughs> that's Jordan's job. <laughs> you did, hopefully you didn't wreck his bike. No, they're very tough. Thank God. Uh, but he's never offered me a ride on it since, but, but having a clutch, you can adjust the hit of the throttle adjust and modulate. So we ask people to learn how to slip the clutch for instance, adventure riders, if you're about to go through deep sand or or mud is a better example. Throttle input in mud is very, very it should be very sensitive because the when you create wheel spin, it slides out to the right or left. You're gonna crash. So we always teach before you enter the mud, give your bike a shot of momentum. And then simply slip the clutch to soften any throttle inputs. Uh, Try to keep the throttle constant going through the mud. But the secret really is slipping the clutch. Where this was really evident to me is we went to the Yukon not that long ago. And about five of us of the 20 arrived a day early. So we unloaded all the bikes and two of the guys said, you know, Clinton, you've been here before. Can you take us for a little, we want to go on a real adventure ride. And I go, well, we're in Whitehorse. It's like being in Toronto, kind of, except less kayaks and moccasins. But in uh, Whitehorse, if you go out of town, maybe 15 minutes, you're pretty well in the bush. So I did find some single tracks that was going along a hydro line, but it was very hilly and very muddy. So I was leading, even though I didn't know where I was going. 
And I went up and down these hills and it was really greasy. So I was slipping the clutch. And these other two fellows couldn't get up these hills. They kept crashing. And they thought it was because I was on uh, a new BMW 1250. But we had identical tires. They were on uh, a big KTM 1090 and a Tenere 700. It had nothing to do with the bikes. It was all about clutch use. So when I coached them that, you know, you're really not slipping the clutch because I was watching them. And as soon as they hit the mud, the amount of throttle that was appropriate 10 seconds earlier was now way too much throttle for mud and the bikes would spin out and they'd crash. So I tried to explain to them, if you modulate the clutch, slip it, you're taking away a lot of that aggressive throttle hit and they were able to climb the hills where it got really exciting was the downhills <laughs> there was a lot of crashing it was it looked like bowling but you know clinton if you had have just said nothing when they when they saw the bmw making it and the ktm's not you could have perpetuated a thought process the, and, and they would have said oh it's well, the bmw magic <laughs> yeah well BMWs are known for very good torque, so kind of a pulling type power. They're tractors; they'll they will go through a lot. Where most bikes, adventure bikes, will now come with an enduro mode, and what that basically does is electronically governs the total horsepower down about fifteen percent, from what I can gather on most bikes. And you can do the exact same thing with the clutch. Just don't let it out all the way. Slip it a little to mm. get up those hills and to ride through the tough, tough, slippery off-road sections. That's the whole idea of slipping the clutch in my mind. It puts me more in control. When the clutch is all the way out, the bike is kind of in control. Okay, so Clinton, let me ask you this. Um, how would you describe to someone how much abuse their clutch can take? How much can they slip it? I mean, there's, there's no indicator that comes up that says, hey, you've ridden your clutch enough now, you needed to let it rest, which would be a great idea for modern bikes. But I mean, um, how do they know? take just a quick break when we come back we've got a lot more to talk about including how to properly adjust your clutch stay with us well i'm sure just like you i appreciate quality especially with things that are important to me and when it comes to riding I want things that are quality. I don't want a lot of things, but the things that I do want, I want quality because I don't want to wonder if or when they're going to fail. Atlas Throttle Lock has nailed it. I mean, nailed it when it comes to quality. They have a stunningly designed throttle lock that fits any bike. You can easily switch it between bikes so you don't have to, to let it go if, if you decide to sell your bike. The Atlas Throttle Lock is machined from metal. Like it feels great, but more importantly, when you mount it on your bike, it works extremely well. It works so well that you'd swear that it was OEM or maybe like I keep saying, better than OEM. 
it, it's it's a it's a work of art. It looks like something you see on a one-off, ex, like exclusive bike. You know, one of those really high-end bikes that that the uh, only people with a lot of money buy. It's like that sort of quality. It's got two buttons on it, one for engage, one for disengage, and it works so smooth. It's really kind of changed the way I've used a throttle lock. Um, I, I've always had throttle locks, but I've, I've used them intermittently and I found them, you know, a fiddle thing that you had to mess with all the time. This thing works so smooth. Uh, it's just one of those, those products that you buy, you put it on there and you forget about it other than you use it to enjoy the ride. Do yourself a favor. You got Christmas coming up. This is a small package. It can easily fit into your stocking and hardly be noticed. Treat yourself to something that you're going to enjoy each time you ride your bike. And you can appreciate the quality in this. AtlasThrottleLock.com. These are, this company is owned, and the whole thing is designed by owned and run by motorcyclists, people just like you that have the same desire as you, quality parts for their bikes. AtlasThrottleLock.com is a website and throw in there anytime you're dealing with them that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. See and be seen. That's the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports, a family-owned business of motorcycle riders that design and manufacture all kinds of lighting products for motorcycles, also ATVs, bicycles, and, and more. They have stunning auxiliary lights for the bike. They have CAN bus system application sets for BMWs and other kinds of bikes. LED headlight replacements. And these are beautifully made and most importantly, super bright. Now I can talk from experience because I've tried their products. Um, like their Evo safety turn signal inserts, which you um, turn your, your turn signals into super bright driving lights in the front, as well as super bright uh, turn signals. And on the back, they become brake lights. I have them on my bike, uh, as well as turn signals on the back. These are stunningly bright. And um, when you step on the brakes uh, on, on this now with my bike, I, I notice it commands attention that only LED can do and only a super bright LED. And the thing is what this system is, they've made them absolutely waterproof. Like the, the inserts are waterproof because your signals are not waterproof. And that's one of those small things that make all the difference. That's quality for you. That's when you know the company really cares about their products. The uh, website is cyclopsadventuresports.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Cyclopsadventuresports.com. You know, you use them every time you get on, every time you get off your bike, every time you ride down the highway, every time you ride a dirt road, and particularly every time you stand. Yes, I'm talking about your foot pegs. That's your major contact point for your motorcycle. Don't skimp. This is an area where you want the best. You want to look at IMS products. IMS products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs, everything from their super wide ADV1 and ADV2 pegs on down to their core enduro pegs. They've got a peg that will suit your style, that will add some leverage and control and certainly traction for your feet to your ride. It's one of the most, one of the best improvements I think you can do to your bike. And it's kind of interesting because it doesn't seem like a real exciting one. Believe me, when you put them on your bike, like I found, it's a huge difference. It's night and day. IMSproducts.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Okay, so Clinton, let me ask you this. Um, how would you describe to someone how much abuse their clutch can take? How much can they slip it? I mean, there's, there's no indicator that comes up that says, hey, you've ridden your clutch enough now, you needed to let it rest, which would be a great idea for modern bikes. But I mean, um, how do they know? Yeah, that comes with experience, but where I've seen it a lot is 
I have friends who are police officers and they ride. Uh, one, uh, one buddy of mine, Dave Thompson, is one of the best riders as a civilian in the police competitions. I don't know if you've or the listeners have seen it, but if you can ever get to one of these North American police challenges, there's about a thousand pylons in a big paved parking lot and it's timed and they whip through these things on huge police bikes and they're throwing the Harley Davidsons right over it full lock. And the way they, the police are taught to control it is slip the clutch with their hand, but ride the rear brake at the same time. Mm. And what that does is tightens up the length of the bike. It firms up the suspension. It just makes it an easier bike to ride. It isn't as loose, but you're heating up the clutch even more because the clutch is fighting against the rear brake. So we teach a dab of rear brake to control your speed, but I don't believe you should ride the rear brake the whole time that you've got your clutch uh, slipping because mm-hmm. you will wear it out way, way faster. So it's just a different philosophy. Now, for me, if my customers or I wreck a clutch, I have to pay for it. If a police officer learning drag the rear brake, ride the clutch, if they wreck their clutch, uh, you and I are paying for it. They're not. <laughs> so it's just a philosophy. It's been taught to them forever. And uh, it's a different way of doing it. And it works very well. They're phenomenally skilled riders at slow speed. Yeah, I've seen some of them where they're dragging the uh, the uh, running boards. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. And I've, I've tried it. I do some consulting work for the Toronto police where they were having issues now and again when they got their big Harleys in off-road situations. Even cutting across the grass medium of a highway to go the other direction. Or there's a lot of parks in Toronto. If they went in for surveillance on the big bikes you know their pavement training didn't really address if you're in gravel sand or grass don't use your front brake as aggressively or you've got to lean in sand to keep it from falling over so i was asked to come down and do a little consultation and demonstration and i set up some exercises and gravel for them to practice on what's called their re-up days. So I've done this for quite a few years. And so they set up their pylons because they have to go through kind of a test before they're allowed back on the road in the spring. And I was able to do their maneuvers. I took a GSA down and uh, the sergeant said to me, Clinton, do you want to try it on my bike? So of course he hit a brand new Harley Davidson police bike. This sounds disastrous. Oh, you know where this is coming, don't you? (laughs) So with everybody's watching, they all stopped and pulled off to watch the chief instructor Clinton do it. I didn't get 20 feet. I just threw that thing over into the first corner and dropped it. The front, it seemed like the front end on that bike was heavier than my whole bike. 
So I went from a 560 pound bike to a over 900 pound bike. And then they all yelled at me because it just tipped over. When I jumped off to try to lift it up, they, you know, I'm not allowed to because if there's an officer close by, you get help lifting your bike. So you're not off work with a bad back. Mm. But yeah, their skill was humbling. What happened to the bike? Oh, nothing. But everybody's eyes were very big because I'd crashed the sergeant's bike. Because <laughs> the new recruits are on old junk. It's the seniority officer that has the nice bikes. <laughs> with all these bruises to the ego, Clinton, how do you keep going? I have a bad memory. Oh, that's I just good. forget. That's good. I like that. <laughs> that's good. I, I think I have that too, but I'm not sure it works to my advantage all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, the, the, but the, back to what I was asking you though, is how do we know how much slip the clutch can take? How, how could you describe it to a rider? Because what you said was, well, it comes with experience. You know, yes. you know that saying experience, it comes from failure, right? Experience is something exactly. that you get from failing over and over again. So without burning out our clutch, is there any way, is there any sort of guidelines you could give somebody? Yeah, a pro rider will feel it in their left hand. They'll know if the clutch is fading or it's losing the width of those friction plates. They could tell immediately. Most riders won't feel that until they go, hey, I think it's in gear, but it's not moving. There's the nothing clutch. left. So your nose is a big help. You'll smell your clutch as you're riding it. If you're going slowly, you'll smell it starting to go. Because it's getting so hot, the oil and the clutch is burning those plates, the friction it's creating. And that's a good indication to pull over and relax, stop for a while because that clutch is fading. If you keep abusing it, whatever you're doing, it doesn't happen just on a normal ride. It's after heavy abuse. And that's one sketchy thing with buying a used motorcycle especially one equipped with the dry clutch. If you don't know how to assess the clutch, take it to a shop and have a pre-safety check done. It may cost you an hour's labor, but an expert will tell you, you know what, that clutch is half shot. That means that bike has to be cut in half if it's an old BMW, well, pre-2013. That could cost you couple thousand dollars in labor and parts mm -hmm. it may factor into the purchase price and when you say cut in half what you're talking about is unbolting it pulling it apart basically slicing exactly. the thing in half yeah taking it all, all the down. whole back end of the motorcycle to the engine is taken off yeah. it's pretty wild to see whereas whereas white clutches are, are much easier to get at aren't they i mean i'm sure you've done oh. it on the side of a trail before yeah many many times um, since 2013, for instance, the BMW clutch is at the front of the engine, runs in a bath of oil, it unbolts, you can inspect it, replace it, whatever you want to do, probably in an hour, where for me, it would be a week doing a dry clutch, but a pro does it in, you know, 10 to 12, 14 hour job. Yeah. Still huge, huge job. But, um, but okay. So, so smelling it is one thing, but it, at that point there's damage though, isn't there? Because you're smelling yes. it burnt, you've damaged the clutch and you're also going to need oil change for sure. Yes. There's, uh, 
and it's hard to say how much damage you'd have to take the clutch apart and micrometer measure the clutch plates to really get it. But you can be rest assured if you're smelling your clutch, you've heard it a little bit. Okay. If you're um if you're out riding and you th- there's really the two things that that wear the clutch out, isn't there? It's the your your hand itself, your 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 slipping of the clutch is going to wear it out. And then what's gonna be directly affecting that, not two things that, that do it, but what directly affects that is the engine RPM. Can you talk about that? Yes. Uh we teach slipping the clutch at very low RPM, idle or just above idle on the throttle. If you're racing and you have a lot of throttle on and you're slipping the clutch, that is really hard on it because of the heat generated. Right. A good indication of it is BMW in connection with Kimco, they produced a bike 2008-2009. It was a G450 BMW. I don't know if you saw them, Jim. They're kind of like a big dirt bike. Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, so I owned one and I never had any trouble with the clutch because I just wasn't a good enough rider to go crazy fast, you know, through the tight trails on it. So I bought it used and sold it and the clutch is still fine. But at pro levels, that particular Kimco engine, the clutch speed of turning was identical to the crankshaft speed. So um, our bikes generally don't do that. You're, you can have the throttle on, but the clutch isn't even turning because it's a different system. But this Kimco engine, so at race speeds, this thing was really spinning, really getting hot. So to kind of introduce this BMW 450 to the world media, BMW hired one of the fastest enduro racers in the world away from another company, a gentleman by the name of David Knight, who was a trials rider in his younger days, turned into a world-ranked enduro racer, phenomenal rider. And he sadly would be winning races, but the clutch would fry on this particular Kimco 450 design Towards the end of the race, there he would be on the sidelines with the clutch fried. And it was a very high RPM, shifting, slipping, what a normal ride he would do. That particular engineered design wouldn't stand up to it. Mm. So he, he didn't stay with BMW at that time. Um, He's switch to different companies because you just couldn't stand losing the races at the very end of it when the clutch fried but it happened three times in a row now to get out of his contract it was interesting so i don't even know if you can say this on air but the way he got out of his contract when the clutch fried the third time in subsequent races He was so mad, he actually threw the bike down on the ground, and in front of spectators and the media, he peed on the bike. (laughs) And he was no longer employed as a BMW racer. (laughs) I can't imagine why. (laughs) What you're talking about with the clutch there is very technical, but the the clutch on the average motorcycle is is heavily gear-reduced 
from the crankshaft. There's a small yes. gear on the crankshaft and a larger gear on the outside of the clutch basket, which reduces the clutch speed. I assume they're doing that for what you were just talking about. That's one of the reasons. The other one may be to get the thing more compact. But what you're talking about there with that bike is there was that gear reduction wasn't there. So the clutch is spinning at the crankshaft RPM. Exactly. And the abuse that I put it through, never a problem, never overheated, didn't slip, nothing. It was amazing. But I just sold it during COVID because, you know, we didn't really put customers on it. And it was a, a luxury for Clinton to have. So I needed the money, but I, I would buy another one. It was a great bike. Yeah, they're not, they're not in production anymore. No, they stopped making it because they bought Husqvarna who had been making dirt bikes for over a hundred years. So they figured, well, let's sell Husqvarna's instead of our BMW 450. But uh, they only had Husky for a couple of years and then sold it. You've mentioned fanning several times. What you're talking about is slipping the clutch. I just want to be clear. And I meant to mention that earlier, but that's what you're talking about. Yeah. uh, What my son was doing, trying to get up muddy hills was with his left hand, he was letting the clutch in and out many, many times quickly. And that's fanning the clutch. Why would you do that as opposed to just modulating it at one level? Exactly. Oh. And what he should have done is just kept it in third gear and let the clutch out and use skill to get up the hill. But No, but I mean, the, the feathering thing with it, you're pumping the, the clutch. Why would you want to pump the clutch feather the like in other words fan it as you're saying like a sort of up and down rather than just having it at a steady drag well what some people do is if they're stuck or about to get stuck you've used up kind of the rpm because the back wheel is now dragging it's getting stuck Mm -hmm. so if you pull the clutch in and rev the daylights out of the engine and then drop the clutch you'll get a little wheel spin and the power is built up again. Sure. And then do that repetitively. You might get unstuck or you oh. might just heat up your clutch enough that you fry it. I see. You're talking a full disengage and engage. That's what you're talking about when you're, when yes, you're saying fanning. Oh, exactly. I didn't realize that. I see. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I get what it's doing. It's there. terrible. It's really hard on the mechanics of the bike, really hard on the drivetrain. You know, oh, I've always been into to working on things. I do all my own work. So, so, I mean, I understand how things work very well. And I think because of that, I, I really have a, a feel for the machine that I'm riding. I, I don't treat it like a, like a disposable tool, you know? So, so for me, it, it just makes me cringe. Like when you, like, for instance, when you hear somebody riding a sport bike and they're riding down the road at 80 kilometers now, they're in the first or second gear because they want to hear it rev out. That yep. just sort of, that just sort of makes me cringe, <laughs> you know, like those sorts of things. Same as over revving the engine. Like I tend to not rev my engines very much or anything. Uh, nope. just, to try and get them to last a little longer, you know? Um, I know everyone isn't isn't into that. Everyone's not tuned in, so to speak, of it. And that's why I was asking about how how much you can get away with with your clutch. So just before we get too far away from that, I just want to go back. So you you said about the engine RPM. So I guess if we're slipping the clutch and we keep our engine RPM down for short distances, that's the safe zone then. It is. And negligible wear in doing that. We've put in... 26 years of off-road rider training, I've installed three clutches in training bikes. And two of them were ones my son rode a lot 
because he was bored with the power and the speed that it had. So he was fanning it to get a little more oomph out of it. Mm-hmm. And one was a used bike I bought for the course where the clutch was already it. When I got it, there was no free play, which is something we haven't talked about. And so the clutch was already half worn out, I would guess, when I bought it. So I put a new clutch in it. Now, you, you did mention before about taking your, your bike in. If you were wondering if your clutch is worn, if someone can tell how worn it is, what they're doing is they're checking the, the engage position, aren't they? To, to see how yeah. worn it is. And you really have to understand what you're talking about because as the clutch gets worn out more and more and more, the engage becomes farther out on your lever. Yes. And so similar to a, a brake pad that gets thinner, the clutch plates get thinner. So the adjustment or engagement point when you're releasing the left lever, the clutch lever, it changes with time and wear and tear on a clutch. So there's a little adjuster. There's a lock nut and a threaded adjuster right up near the clutch lever on 90% of bikes. Sometimes there's even in the middle of the cable adjustment. And the, the purpose of that is you can adjust the free play in the clutch system. Okay, so, so hang on. So what, what we're talking about yeah. here is we're talking about a cable actuated clutch, which most bikes are. Yes. There are some that are hydraulic uh, and the hydraulic you don't have to adjust because the hydraulic is much like your, your brake system in your car. If you have disc brakes, not, not drum brakes, if you have disc brakes, you don't have to adjust that. It adjusts automatically and that's just the, the, the inherent design of it. It's not like it was designed. It's not, not an automatic adjuster. It's just because of the way the system works. So without getting into that. So what you're talking about is most yes. of us have, have clutch cables. And you're about to talk about how to set this clutch cable up for to adjust our free play. Yes. So if the bike is in neutral and you pull your clutch in a little bit, with it doesn't have to be running, doesn't make any difference to it, but let's say it's not running, pull the clutch in and you should get a quarter inch of movement it would be about an inch in a car or truck, but a motorcycle, it's about a quarter inch of movement where it's very easy to move. We call that free. Then it gets a little harder to pull in because you're starting to work the springs in the clutch. You're starting to compress them or push them apart with the push rod. So if you don't have that free play, so as soon as you move your fingers in first gear and pull the clutch in and you want to move off, if you move it just a millimeter, just a tiny bit, and it starts to move, that's too soon. There's not enough free play adjustment in your clutch cable. And that can be problematic because it could wear to the point where you've, you're riding around the whole time as if you have the clutch in a little bit through all levels of RPM and that will wear out or fry a clutch. And the thing is, if there is no free play, you have no idea just how tight it is, do you? I mean, it could be a little bit tight. It could be a lot tight and you could certainly tell by by riding it and feeling the slip on the clutch. But if you weren't aware of that, you would have no idea. So that free play gives you that, that zero point where you, where you know it's not dragging. 
Um, but also, you, even if it's lightly dragging, even if it was lightly dragging, you're wearing out your components, aren't you? Because you're, you're pushing against the, the clutch all the time. Exactly. And that can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. Clutches are not cheap, especially with certain bikes. So it's important to change the oil for many reasons. One of them is to keep the clutch in good condition. Because as the clutch plates deteriorate, it kind of darkens the oil, as does carbon. And just internal combustion darkens up oil with use. But it's not good to have. I've had bikes that were hanging up. So the bike was hard to put into neutral because the clutch wasn't disengaging all the way. And all I've done was change the oil and the clutch went back perfect. I didn't touch the clutch. All I did was put fresh oil in. Hmm. So oil is critical to a clutch lasting a long time. The right quality Mm-hmm. And viscosity of oil, very important for clutches. And, and that's another reminder of why we need to change oil regularly when it comes to motorcycles. In particular, because you, you mentioned that earlier, and I was going to say that uh, you were talking about the, the clutch wears and it goes into the oil and dirties the oil. And again, you're talking about that now. Uh, that's, that's another, um, I guess you could say it's a disadvantage of a wet clutch system. And it's probably one of the reasons that we change our oil fairly often with motorcycles. It is. The dry clutch is a lot cleaner. And your oil will not get as dirty from clutch abuse because there's no oil in it. It's just quite noisy, a dry clutch. Free plate, that's very easy. It's just like a, a very uh, simple adjustment. Obviously, probably the best way to do it is to have somebody who actually knows how to do it first show you. But it's um, when you almost slap the lever with your fingers, you can, you can feel that free play in there. Yes, exactly. Uh, most owners manual... Um, Men don't read them until something breaks or they watch a YouTube video, but um, that will really help you understand. It'll, it'll graphically show a little pictorial of the adjustment on a clutch. Most of my manuals do anyway, and or YouTube video on how to adjust a, a cable clutch. You've read your really manuals? Oh, yeah, I always do. <laughs> I'm kidding, because you just finished saying that it's for when something breaks. It means, in other words, when you read your manuals, you've broken something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I pulled one out the other day because, of course, I've had the batteries out of the snowmobiles. I put them back in, and it said it was 1130 when it was like 330. So I couldn't remember what buttons to push to change the time. So I had to get the manual out. <sighs> That's modern technology. It can be very difficult to yes. deal with. You got to make sure that, <laughs> that clock is right. Hey, Clinton, when you're talking about doing the free play, should you be checking your, your routing of your cables by, by swinging the, the bars to the left and the right to make sure that doesn't change your free play adjustment? Yeah, that's a great suggestion, Jim. Sometimes if people have replaced a cable, what I do is I tape uh, the old cable to the new one and pull the new cable through the same routing as the old one. Because if you mess that up, that can cause actual steering problems. If it takes too long, you take a longer route to get through the steering head and all the electrical and under the tank, wherever it routes through. If you do it badly, it's like driving around with your clutch in, partially in. Or as you say, maybe turning left, 
pulls the clutch in and you didn't mean to. Right. All of a sudden you got no power in a corner. So it is important to have the cables, mostly the throttle. That's that's the key one. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to stretch that one out. You've had a bit of an incident with the throttle cable, didn't you? I did. Um, it was a very long time ago, I'm embarrassed to say, but uh, this guy who had a really new Husqvarna in our neighborhood had put bar risers on it that you could buy from the Husky dealer. I had an old Honda 175 and I thought I could make, I think I can make, I think it was 13 or 14. So the clamps that go on top of a handlebar have holes in them, of course, for the bolts to go through. So I just stacked four of them under my bars and found some really long bolts. So now my handlebars were way up in the air. Cheap bar risers. And it worked great until just as I was assembling it, uh, our dog barked because there was someone walking by with a dog. And it was this beautiful young lady that moved into our country neighborhood. And all the guys were talking about her, but I hadn't seen her, met her yet. I just saw this blonde girl go by with a, a nice Samoy dog. So I thought, oh, I better impress upon her how fast a rider I am. So I threw my helmet on, jumped on this bike with the new bar risers, go flying out of my driveway. Well, of course, when I turned left, the throttle cable was now really tight because it's way up in the air. <laughs> And I went full throttle when I wasn't planning to. Uh, she wasn't very impressed because I ended up in the ditch with the bike on top of me. Did she rescue you? No, she didn't. She just it kept going. Go well. She wants she nothing just, to do with this guy. I think she turned and looked at that. What an idiot. So it never worked. Out. What were the lessons in that? Uh, yeah. When you do repairs, think about what you're doing if it's really safe. Maybe test it in the driveway before you get on. Um, whenever you're working on any cables, clutch, throttle, swing the bars full lock left and right to make sure you've got everything routed properly. But uh, when people do bar risers, they should really invest in longer cables for throttle and clutch if they're really sticking them up in the air. I'm not an advocate of bar risers, but if people do, make sure you've got the free play still. I was going to say maybe there's one in there about showing off as well, lesson, but 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 won't oh, worry yeah. about that. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> but but the cables, dad, no, the, and, and this, that's so perfect what we're talking about because um, I, it seems like with modern motorcycles, I guess with everything now, everything's becoming more refined, and the routing is very refined. The cables are not there's not they're not extra long or anything. You won't find you know loops of cables sticking out like you used to in older bikes. So there, just a simple reroute, like you mentioned, if you miss going through a loop, one of the areas where it was supposed to go through, you could change the length of your cable effectively by, by swinging your bars back and forth. So it, yeah, um, and that could be very unsafe. Mm, I like your idea of routing the cable with the old cable. And I was going to mention that, you know, the, the bike that I'm riding now, I think I've owned it for 10 years, I guess. And, and like a real high percentage of what I do is low speed, rough riding. You know, I love hitting the, the rough stuff, the trails and things like that. So I end up slipping the clutch a lot. It's still the original clutch and, and shows no signs of being worn out. Exactly. We have two instructors with 2005 and a 2006 
dry clutch on their BMW R1200 GSs. Uh, Paul has 220,000 kilometers, and Dave is a little bit behind him. I think he's just turned 200,000, both the original clutches. And you'd mentioned also about the fact you only, you only did, I think you said three clutches at your school and you've had, I, th- I think you've had well over a hundred thousand uh, people through, haven't you? Yes. 109,000. 109,000 people riding your yeah. motorcycles. and You've only done three clutches and these are beginners, like a lot of them. Absolutely. And nobody will abuse a clutch more than a new rider. Yeah, of course. They're, they're forgetting to let it out all the way. They're bang shifting. <laughs> it's very tough on a bike. It it makes me cry sometimes, but because <laughs> the bikes just get hammered. But yeah. that's part of learning. We're all a little tougher on them when we were learning. But yeah, of course, because you don't have the coordination for it. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But but it does speak to how tough these wet clutches are. And you don't have any dry clutches in your school, do you? Uh, just my own bikes that are pre-2013 BMWs. I have three of them that are dry clutches. Yeah, that's your bike, though. That's your ride? Yes. Okay. Yes. Would you have a dry clutch in the school? Um, I would. Like pre-2013, all our BMWs were dry clutches. Oh, okay. So you did have it then at one point. You you were running dry clutches. Yeah. They stood up really well. Never had a problem. Okay. Mind you, we're giving them back after one season, you know, 3,000 miles, 5,000 kilometers worth of use. Mm -hmm. So um, there was no negligible wear on those clutches. Right. So, okay. So um, what else? uh, Do do you have anything else that we should be talking about with the clutch? Um, Let me see. I, I really think people should if they're buying a bike and they're worried about what kind of condition the clutch is in, because it can be an expensive repair, have a mechanic. Um, I always ask the person I'm buying the bike from, you know, what bike shop did you deal with? Would you mind if we took it in and had your mechanic go over it like a pre-safety inspection? And if it's a smaller shop, a regular customer, good relationship between mechanic and customer, they're going to tell you, um, this, this guy was great. He's in, and they've never heard of him before. They don't remember it. Or if you ask the person, you know, when was the last time you changed your oil? And they say, oh, you have to change the oil. Uh, Keep, keep going. I like seeing an owner's manual with dirty fingerprints in it. You know, at least somebody was checking something that's before they did their own maintenance. Yeah, that's a good tip. And, and you can really see, um, you know, checking over a bike if there's vice grip marks on the nuts and bolts. They didn't have proper tools. Uh, I'm not going to buy that bike. It's just had poor maintenance. Mm-hmm. So as far as clutches go, um, see if there's free play. and if you're allowed to take it for a ride, it'll be pretty evident that a clutch is about to go. If you maybe leave it in second or third and accelerate and you get a lot of noise, but it isn't pulling, the clutch is slipping, which is different than what we've talked about, Jim, with slipping the clutch manually with your hand. If it's just spinning, it's not grabbing, it's not transferring the power, 
then the clutch is half shot. Yeah, and, and what you're can, talking about is it's worn out. The, the springs are, are extended. Um, they've lost the compression that they need. The, the clutch material is worn down. And when the engine gets more into the power band, it's powerful enough that it'll actually spin the clutch even though it's fully engaged. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a better description of it. Yeah, the plates are so thin on the friction plates, it won't grab. So it's just spinning. Right. And, and and it can be expensive, so yeah, you want it to, you want to work it into um, the price that you're paying for the bike. But but even still, with, with yourself, if, if it's your own bike, at least you can pay attention. No, so you don't go out on a trip, and then find you have have problems with it. So let, let me ask you this though, Clinton, when you're planning a trip, like for instance, you're doing the Yukon thing, you've done it for a couple of years now, where you're going up with this trip that's being run, and you're you're a sweep guide. Is there any talk before the people go on the trip? Because I understand it's their own bikes about having their clutch checked. Yeah, uh, we've learned uh, this. We've done it three times now. So now it's a requirement that you get your bike checked over before it's loaded on the truck. Not so, just you checking it. Yeah, no, uh, not just the, the person because, you know, they looked at it. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, it feels fine. It's very shiny. It's very shiny. <laughs> yeah. um, no, we, we want not like a pre-safety, but are the tires good? Your chain still has adjustment. Uh, the cold cranking amps of a battery, if you're going way up north, is critical. It could start, you know, in Ontario, where we are, most of us come from, that go on this trip. But you get it at zero degrees freezing, and now Clinton has to tow you every single morning to bump start the bike Mm -hmm. or to boost the battery every day. It's just a added frustration yeah so um we've learned how to vet the rider so that they should have some experience in gravel sadly there was one gentleman on the last trip that had never ridden gravel before but decided to go on a trip to the yukon which Mm. there's not a lot of pavement up there i asked him if he knew how to swim and did he learn in a shark tank? <laughs> Who goes to the Yukon to learn gravel? It's was that very, an oversight on, on his part? Did he just not realize there's going to be gravel or did he just figure he'd pick it up? I think he figured it would be okay because he had the bike that was designed for it. Well, that's, to be fair, boy, they really do push that in advertisements, don't they? I mean, it's all they about do. the bike. It's all about what bike you've got. Whereas, Exactly. Um, I think we know that's uh, that's not the case. No, definitely not. But uh, yeah, we definitely would check the clutch and the tires, chains, sprockets, battery, everything, just to make sure it's going to do the trip. And that's meant a lot less mechanical work on the side of the road. We'd rather do it in the shop at home where parts are more readily available, probably cheaper than having it shipped up because a lot of adventure touring, your brand of dealership may not be there close by. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to have it UPS if you even can, which that's a day or two or three of your tour. So making sure the clutch is in good repair, lots of adjustment and lots of life left in it before you go is really important. 
Yeah. And that's all simple stuff that you, that you can do as well. The stuff you're talking about, it's all basic maintenance is really what it is, but it's, it's all simple stuff for that you, sure. if you take care of before you go out on an adventure, but better than wasting your, your vacation time waiting for parts or, or trying to find somebody to, to fix something. You know, I mean, it's different if you're on a multi-year round the world trip, you know, it, it wouldn't be as big of a deal, but certainly for most of us, when you go on an adventure like that, it, you've got a short window. Yes. Yeah. Um, where I have heard of adventure riders having trouble is in very rough roads, maybe Peru, Ecuador, heavy, heavy rains. And the road is extremely muddy, if you can call it a road. So the bike is stuck. It's a heavily loaded adventure bike, maybe even a passenger. And the back wheel is in a hole. So the rider's frustrated. They're angry. They're cold. They're wet. So they're hammering and abusing the bike in order to get it out. And so that's when a clutch will go south very quickly. Mm. If you're dropping the clutch with very, very heavy throttle, that abuse, it won't take a lot of that, especially a dry clutch. You'll smell it burning. And shortly after that, when you drop the clutch, it's not going to pull hardly at it won't pull the weight of rider you out of the hole. Mm -hmm. And so, that, that again is, um, you know, because it sounds like you're dumping the clutch, it should just be engaged. You might wonder why would it wear, but as it's gauging, as it's engaging, as you've dumped the clutch, it's not instant. It's not like a, um, like a, a dog gear going together or something like that. It, uh, the clutch will actually spin itself tight, you know, as, yes. as it tightens up. And that's what you're talking about. That's incredible heat. Yeah. And that, that abuse uh, repetitively will leave you stranded on that road. So if you're ever stuck like that, think of your clutch, shut the bike off, dismount passenger and you. What I would do is lay it over on its side and then drag the back wheel so you're far away from the hole before you pick it back up and continue. Right. And give your clutch a break. Because right. it's it it's one of the integral components that's going to get you to where you want to go and then get you back home. Yep. No, good advice. Anything else we should be talking about with clutches? I think that's it. Other than treat them nice, change the oil. Don't ride with your rear brake on at slow speeds, unless you're a police officer that's going to get the clutch replaced at no expense to them. And if the bike dies, they always have a couple extra bikes in the trailer when they're doing demonstrations. But it's very common for police demo bikes to go through clutches. Thanks, Lachlan. My pleasure. Talk to you soon, Jim. Bye-bye now. was speaking with Clinton Smout from his office at Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Smart Adventures specializes in motorcycle rider training. They also do ATV and snowmobile rider training. The website is smartadventures.com and we'll have that link in the show notes, of course, as well as some photographs from Clinton that helps illustrate some of the things we've been talking about today, all available at the, in the show notes for every episode on adventureriderradio.com.
Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. I always love rider skills. I just love talking about this stuff. Love learning stuff. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. And of course, to you, the listener, thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. So if you're not supporting now, please drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support and see what we have to offer. It, it can be any amount, anything $10 or more, get you a sticker sent back at you for your, your pannier, your motorcycle, for your gas tank, I don't know, anywhere you want to put it. And uh, anything uh, $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. And we would love you to consider uh, our uh, patron account. So being there for us every month. Anyway, drop by the website, have a look. Um, There's a lot of choices for you, but don't sit back and wait for everybody else to do it because it just doesn't happen. There's only a small percentage of people actually support the show that listen. Uh, There's a huge number of people listening and only a very, very tiny number of people that actually support. So join the club, get in there and support the show. We'd really appreciate it. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening and I will talk to you next week. This is Travis and Chantel Gill, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Radio.